Waiting is a tough game. It really is, right? And, it, and it, frankly, it defines our lives in, in some aspect or another. And uh, frankly, frankly, Barry, like, you know, uh, you know, I did not have to wait very long, and things were back normal, so... Yours is a very different waiting, my friend. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning, right? Because we can wait for things. We can wait for circumstances to be remedied in our lives. But the reality is, is some of them will never go away. And so the, the, the question is, right, like, when is our soul going to be satisfied? What are, we, what are we really waiting for? We're waiting for our full redemption in Christ. That's what we're waiting for. I mean, we're waiting for these other things. And, and God willing, we, we will put some of these obstacles and struggles in our lives, with it, like all those things that Barry listed, whether it's financial or relational or whatever it is, maybe... Maybe God will remove those obstacles. Maybe he won't. But regardless, we wait. We hope in his word. We wait for the real problem in our lives to be gone. The thing that causes all of these other things, right? The, the broken relationships and the financial struggles and the woes of this world. All of those things are symptoms of a much deeper problem. And that's sin. And so that's, that's what we're going to be talking about this morning is, is we're going to walk through Psalm 130. So if you have your Bibles open or if you don't have them open, open them up. The verses will be on the screen. Because I think this, this is a particular danger where we wait for things and we get consumed by the things instead of waiting for the real solution, our full redemption in Christ. And so that's what we're going to spend our time on this morning, if I can make my way through it. Let me start by praying. Father, we thank you. We thank you for teaching us what worship is. As we've gone through this series in Psalms, Father, you've taught us that worship doesn't just look like just happy singing, but that we can worship in every circumstance of our lives. And this is no different. And so I ask, Father, that you would help us to understand what worship in our waiting looks like. How are we worshiping you while we wait for this full redemption, while we wait for the return of your son, while we wait to be in your presence? God, would you create in us a longing this morning? Help us to understand, help us to see, help us to long for you in a way that worships you and you alone. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. So we're going to just jump right into Psalm 130. We're going to start in verse 1 and, and 
really this is going to be broken up in, in two verses a, a piece as we walk through it. And what we're going to look at is what is this psalmist, what is he talking about? What, what, what does it look like? What is he really waiting for? Now, I'll, I'll give you a little bit of, um, you know, the, the very first line of that, verse 1, if you will, says, a song of ascents. Nobody knows what that means, <laughs> frankly. Um, there's a couple different thoughts about that. There's, uh, there's 15 psalms that say that at the, to- at the title, uh, Psalm 120 until Psalm 134. Um, there's 15 steps that go up into the temple, and so some have thought that this was ascending into the temple, and, and they sang one psalm on each one on certain occasions. It could be that. Some think that these were just saying going in pilgrimage to Jerusalem, because Jerusalem's up on a hill, and so there's like an ascent into Jerusalem. Frankly, it doesn't really pertain to what we're going to be talking about. It, it, whatever it means, it, it could have just been a musical. I mean, some have even argued that it's just kind of a musical uh, note, note uh, or instruction like the other ones have, we've seen. But look at what he says in verses 1 and 2. He says, out of the depths... I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. So the first thing that he's doing, he's waiting for mercy. Mercy. Like, he's begging God for mercy. What kind of picture does that create in your mind? We don't beg for mercy often. It's a very weak thing to do, isn't it? It, it? it admits guilt, and it puts you in a position that is totally at the mercy of the one that would show mercy, right? Like, this is a low, low place to be. And that's why he says, out of the depths I'm crying to God, begging, pleading him, pleading to him for mercy. So let me just ask you, do you plead to God for mercy? Now, one thing we have to keep in context, right, is this psalmist is is pre the Messiah coming, right? So this is before Jesus has come, but we're going to see this is a a Jesus-centered psalm if there isn't one. It's very clearly the good news of Jesus Christ and the gospel is communicated in here. And so what he's doing is he's pointing to this like kind of a, from his perspective, there's a, there's a need that's going to happen. From our perspective, we're looking back and we're going, there is a need, it was fulfilled in Christ. But in both of our contexts, we need mercy, desperately. But we don't hear that often, do we? What do we hear more often than mercy now? We want justice, don't we? It's all over the place. Everybody's like, if you've got kids, they, they talk about what's just between them and their, and their fighting, especially when they're younger, right? It's not fair. Go out of the world. That's the theme of everything. What's just? And often we find ourselves on that side of the fence, and we go, I want justice, careful (laughs) because going before a holy and righteous god saying i want justice 
It's not what you want. <laughs> Let's just put it that way. And so the psalmist understands this. He goes, I don't want justice. I want mercy. I want God to just go, I'm showing you mercy. And look at, and he's going to describe, well, before I get to that. And so, so, you know, sometimes we kind of, we kind of do this comparison and we go, well, I, for the most part, I want justice. I mean, maybe there's like a little bit of mercy in my life that I need. But really, I'm a pretty good person. And, and if God's weighing the scales of justice, you know, me compared to somebody else, you know, I, I'm ballparkish. Turn over to 1 John chapter 1, verse 8. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So going to God and asking for mercy is not a bad thing. In fact, it's a fundamental thing to the gospel. Your faith in Christ is based on that going to God begging for mercy. That's what it is. If, if you're on the other side of this thing going, I need justice and God's a God of justice and so I'm good with that, you've missed the whole point of the good news of Jesus Christ. The good news of Jesus Christ is that you deserve punishment because of your sins, but God has chosen to show you mercy. That's it. And so we ought to first wait for mercy. Like that's, that's one of those things in our lives that we should, when we're spending our time with God, we need to have a, a good, correct assessment of our status before our righteous God. And we go, God, I need mercy. God, thank you for showing me mercy through your son. Right? That's past tense. That's already happened. So you're not sitting here waiting for God to show you mercy. He's already shown you mercy. He just wants you to come before him and recognize your need of his gift. Now look at the second part of this. He, he's waiting for forgiveness. He explains this in verses three and four. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. You see, the psalmist doesn't just want mercy. He doesn't want the judge to just go, you're off the hook. He wants, he's waiting for forgiveness. Forgiveness is totally different than mercy. Forgiveness is a reconciled relationship, right? Forgiveness, I mean, think about this in a relationship that you've had. You can show mercy and not care about the person, <laughs> especially if, you have, if you're in some sort of realm of power, right? And somebody goes, will you have mercy on me because of whatever? You can go, sure, get out of my sight. I'm not going to do anything. But forgiveness, forgiveness isn't that. Forgiveness is, we're reconciled. I forgive you. I care about you. I love you. This is what the psalmist is waiting for. He goes, I don't just want to be off the hook. I want to be reconciled. I want this, 
I, I, I'm waiting for this forgiveness to be, to be back with, with God, this full redemption we're going to see in the last verse, this reconciled to, to our heavenly father, adopted children, and like everything's good, and I don't have these sinful things in my life, and I'm not dealing with sinful circumstances, and it just feels like it's just wretched, and it just stinks, and I want it to be done. I'm waiting to be forgiven completely and fully. Look at how he describes his waiting in verse 5. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning. More than watchmen for the morning. Remember when I was a kid, there was something about like trying to stay up through the night. <laughs> it seems like so backwards from the adult perspective on sleep. But, right? Isn't there, there's this thing with kids. It was like, we're going to stay up through the night. It's going to be great. I remember doing this and I stayed at my friend's house and we watched like the alien uh, whatever, I don't even, I barely remember this. So whatever the alien movies were at the time, and we were trying to say, there's no, we never, I don't think I ever stayed up through the night until I became an adult and I had to. Um, but like there was this like idea, like I, I wanted to stay up through the night, but as an adult, if you think about this, it's hard to stay up through the night. You get tired. You ever been like that tired where it's excruciating? painful this this we don't we don't do this now but this idea of a watchman like you're the one that's staying up through the night you just one of you you don't have somebody to talk with <laughs> back then they certainly didn't have anything to occupy your time with other than counting the stars that would have been excruciating and he would have been sitting there going I could barely stay awake, but if I fall asleep, bad things happen. I gotta stay awake. Whether this is, you know, I don't even know what the context, right? whether this is protecting a kingdom or a sheep pen or whatever it is, right? It doesn't matter. Trying to stay up, like they're waiting for one thing, the shift change. <laughs> they're waiting for that sun to peek off the horizon and go, I'm out of here, I'm going home, I'm going to sleep. <laughs> That's how he's waiting. He's waiting for Christ's return. He's, he's waiting for the Messiah. We're waiting for Christ's return. We're waiting for this full redemption, this mercy, this forgiveness, for this, all of this stuff to be done with and gone and us to be in the presence of our God. That's what he's waiting for. And he's waiting in a way, it says his, his um, One second. I think I jumped translations at some point in here. Anyway, there's one translation that says, My whole being is waiting. Am I missing that? Does it say that in here anywhere? Anyway, I've lost my mind. He, he described it. There is a translation, apparently, in my research that I found that says, My whole being waits. Like, this isn't just something that's casual. 
And frankly, a lot of times, I think in this context, our waiting is casual and distracted. We believe that Jesus is going to come back. Sounds good. I'm waiting for that. Let me know when it happens. <laughs> it's distracted waiting. It's casual. It's, it's not something that's like consuming our, our whole spirit, our whole being. It's not, a, it's not a profound waiting. It's just waiting. I wish we had like another word. There, maybe it's longing. We long for things, but are we longing for Christ's return? Are we longing for this full redemption? Because this is, this is how we worship God in our waiting, by actually it, being, it resting heavy on our hearts. I want this to be done with. And what are we waiting for? Look what it says in verse, uh, we're, sorry, we're waiting to escape sin. Look what it says in verse 7. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Sin. That's what we're waiting for. That's what we're waiting for. A, a, a redemption from all of our iniquities, a plentiful redemption. Who here has an, is somebody reading out of a, a recent ESV? Does it say plentiful redemption or does it say full redemption? Okay. I crossed my wires somewhere in this prep. Um, do, luckily, it doesn't change the meaning, <laughs> right? So this is what he's saying. He's like, uh, he, he actually shifts this. He isn't describing himself. He, this is a direction to us. Look at what he says in verse 7. Israel, do this. It's a command. Hope in the Lord. He's being directive towards Israel, towards us, going, this is who you need to be hoping in, and this is what you need to be longing and waiting for. What? He will redeem Israel from all his iniquities, from all your sins. That's the promise. That's what we're really waiting for. You see, we are infected by sin. We are. This isn't a judgment issue. This isn't a, you know, there, there's, there's places and people that'll be like, ah, don't, you know, we're good people. Biblically, no, you're not. And I think anecdotally, we all know that we're sinful, right? We all know that we've sinned. We all know that we have thoughts and actions and things in our lives that have, that have consumed our lives, that have, that have, showed us just how depraved and how sorry we are. We're infected by sin. And yet, we're consumed with solving the random little problems in our lives. And I, and I don't mean that in a, in a disparaging way. There's, there's these huge problems in our lives, but they are symptoms of sin. If you get sick, what do you do? You treat the symptoms? Probably, if it's just something that's common, doesn't seem to be super significant. But if it lasts, you go to the doctor. And you go, why have I had a cough for three months? 
why am I feeling this? Like, is there something deeper going on? That's why you go to the doctor, right? And if the doctor, like a military doctor would, say, here's some Advil, good luck. That doesn't help. What does that do? It just masks the symptoms. Here's some NyQuil, some Advil. Here's some throat lozenges. What do you need? What else do you need? That's all we need. That can pretty much solve everything symptomatically. And that's how we live our lives. We go, I just want this symptom to be solved. I, I, I want the financial struggles to just be solved and moved out of the way. I want the broken relationship to just be solved and just moved out of the way. I want these things solved. And so we get consumed by these things. And we're trying to solve these little tiny symptoms. And we're missing the fact that we need to go to the doctor, the Bible, and see what the root of the problem is. It's the same thing with relationships. I mean, how many times have you seen a relationship, a marriage or a friendship, and there's like super passive aggressive like discussions going back and forth? And as a third party, you're like, ew, that's awkward. And you, and you see the, the interaction between these people, whether they're husband and wife or friends or whatever, and you can just tell there's this note of like they're curt, just seems weird. It's a symptom. It's a symptom of something deeper going on in their relationship, right? And we all know this, and we go to like counseling and marriage counseling and different types of counseling. We're like, what is it? What, why is this? And you, and you start peeling back this onion. And you get to, oh, the reason why we're passive aggressive is because like we're trying to one-up each other. And, and we're, there's some pride in this. And there's some envy. And there's some jealousy. And there's all these things. And you're like, oh, okay. That's the root. No. No. That's just one more layer. The root is sin. The reason why you have envy and jealousy, the reason why you have struggles with these different places and people, or you struggle with contentment, or you struggle with whatever, is because of sin. And this is what the psalmist is saying. He's like, you can wait, and God might solve these other things, but they're deep real problem that we ought to be waiting for is for sin to be gone. Hallelujah. Man, like that is what we want. It's what you want. Trust me. It's what you want. We can't even fathom what it looks like to not have sin. And so we want this escape. We want God to redeem us from all our iniquities. That's what we long for. That's what we hope for. And who can do it? You're not going to fix it. Clearly, just go in age here in this room if you like. I'm not going to call out anybody's ages. But I think you'll find that the older people are in here, the more they're willing to recognize that, like, yeah, clearly I'm not going to solve this problem on my own. The younger people might have some hope, some, some impressionable, like, yeah, no, I think I could, I think I could be a really good person. Eh. This is why Christ came. If you go back, and we're not going to go to it, but if you continue to read in 1 John 1.10, the very next verse goes like, if, if you don't recognize your sin, then you tell me why, we, why God sent the Messiah. You tell me why you needed a Savior. You're basically saying that, that Jesus didn't need to die for you if you could solve this on your own. 
And that's what the world thinks right now. They go, oh, I could be good enough. No. No. We need an escape from sin. Go to Luke chapter 5. I don't do this often, but we're going we're gonna to stop a, a story short, and then we're going to ask a what if Jesus didn't question, okay? Luke chapter 5, verse 17. On one of those days, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed. And they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. Why? Why were these people doing this? What was their objective? What was their objective? Get him healed, right? Get this man walking. That was, that was their point, right? Jesus was healing. Let's... Let's go to as many, whatever we need to do. We'll climb up on the roof, we'll lower him down. Verse 20. And when he saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? I want to ask you a question. What if that was the end of the story? What if that was it? Is that enough? It doesn't have that fairy tale good ending, or does it? You see, Jesus' primary solution, what, what, what he sees is sin. He says, This man needs something, he needs his sins forgiven. And his friends and him are thinking, no, no, I need legs to work. He goes, no, you don't. I need your sins forgiven. And Jesus, and we're not going to read the rest of the parable. You can go home and read it. And Jesus goes on to, to heal him. But he does it almost in a reluctant fashion. He's like, just so that you would know that I have the power to forgive sins, right? So like, it's like it kind of goes on, but the primary solution is I'm going to heal you from your sins. I'm going to give you full redemption. I'm going to give you mercy and forgiveness eternally. I'm going to give you the gift of eternal life. You go, yeah, but can you solve this problem in my life? You see how backwards we are? And this is, this is all of us in here, right? We, we get these things muddled up. We get them mixed up. And it's not that God isn't going to help us in these other circumstances. He will. He will help us and give us joy and peace and contentment in the midst of struggles, and we've talked about that plenty, right? And so there's grace and there's love and there's compassion that God shows us in those times. But if that's all we're waiting for, you guys, we're wasting our time waiting for things that may not happen. 
But there is something that will, in fact, happen. Jesus Christ will return. We will be eternally rejoined and reconciled to our Father. And we will experience peace and contentment and joy on a level that we cannot even fathom. And we're going to look back on these 80 to 90 years of trials and, and difficulties and struggles. And it's going to mean not a whole lot. In fact, we have to start asking ourselves, why doesn't God keep us from all of these struggles? What, what do we do with what we call indwelling sin? Because God's going to forgive you, right? If you confess that Jesus died on the cross, that he rose from the grave, that he was your substitutionary sacrifice, that he gave you his righteousness and took on your sins, right? If you believe that, you have eternal life, and he's given you his Holy Spirit as a, as a deposit guaranteeing your inheritance. Like, it's done. And then you're going to go sin. <laughs> it's going to happen. So what do we do with that? And not only are you going to sin, but the world is still sitting around you, and this fallen world just stinks. And junk is going to happen. So what do we do with that? should cause us to wait, to long for eternity. It should direct our gaze back up to God going, this world is actually very bad. This fallen world is not what I want. All the treasures, all the things, all the amazing stuff in this world don't compare to eternity. And this is what he's saying. Paul talks about it over and over again, right? He was out doing all sorts of things, and he had this thorn in his side, and we don't really know what that is. Some think it was an eyesight thing. Some think it might have been pride. There's a lot of different things, but clearly Paul was suffering with something. Why? Why would God allow somebody to suffer their entire life? Why would he allow you to go through the financial difficulties you're going through? Why would he allow you to, to have this broken relationship that just seems like it just takes more work than it's worth? Or, you know, why, why does he allow these things to happen? Friends, I, it doesn't mean that we answer with apathy or obsession, right? We talked about this a couple weeks ago. But in our stillness, we trust in God and we allow those things to direct our gaze to God and say, God, waiting. I'm dissatisfied with this world. I'm dissatisfied with everything in this world. Even the good things in this world are good, but they're temporary and they're fleeting. And I want, I want what their reflection is, I want that in eternity with you, God. And I know that only comes in your presence. That's why we just saying, in you is my soul satisfied. Your soul will never be satisfied. Never. Until you're in the presence of and you have your plentiful redemption, your full redemption. That's what we wait for. Praise God that it's coming. And so we should wait. We worship God by waiting and longing for that day. And so I would just encourage you, like, 
How can we do this? How can we shift our thoughts to wait for that? When we wake up in the morning, it's a beautiful morning. We go, man, this is beautiful. But I'll bet you eternity is going to be even more beautiful. Or you wake up in the morning and you can barely get out of bed because you got muscles popping and bones cracking and all sorts of stuff and your ailments or, or you know that what's lying ahead are just difficulties and struggles and you go, God, this is not the world that you want for us. This is not what you have in store for us. You have so much more in store for us and I can't wait for that day. That's how we worship God in our waiting. Let me, let me pray. God, would you help us to wait well? I pray that it would be all-consuming for each one of us. As we go about our days, that our minds would be drawn to you. If just momentary, God, just give us a moment of clarity to say, this is not all there is. You have more waiting for us. Help us in our struggles, in our day-to-day, that as we wait and long for them, to, the symptoms to be remedied, God, may it not just consume us, but that we would long for you. God, you have shown us mercy. You have forgiven us. You have reconciled us. You've given us your Holy Spirit. God, we look forward to the day when we are in your presence and we will look back on all of this and we will see you drawing our attention back to you in all of these different circumstances. And we pray, Father, that, that you would do that, that you would open up our eyes, help us to hear and to see this world as you see it. We pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.